righteousness and justice reach the ends of the earth, as we commence this special convocation, celebrating the inauguration of Dr. Norman Lamb as the president of Yeshiva University, we invite thy grace and blessing upon all assembled here for this inspiring and memorable occasion. Mayest thou, who art the source of all wisdom and goodness, bestow upon Yeshiva's new leader the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and courage, the spirit of knowledge and reverence for the Lord, so that he may lead this unique and great institution of learning toward even higher achievement, la'agdil toro ula'adiro, to magnify the Torah and to glorify it. Oedot yomim ushnos chayim v'shalom yosifulo, length of days and years of life and peace, may they add to him. Blessed too, the three eminent honorees who have favored us with their distinguished participation in this historic occasion, imbue them with the wisdom and perception to interpret the laws of their lands in the spirit of justice and mercy according to thy will. And unite us all in a fellowship of service unto thee through loving service unto one another. In the words spoken over three decades ago by our master and teacher, Dr. Samuel Belkins of Reynolivachal, at his inauguration, we pray unto thee, may it be thy will, O God, that love and brotherliness, peace and fellowship, Dwell in our allotted place, enlarge our bounds with disciples, and establish us with good associates. May our ends be fulfilled, so that we may share in the world of the future. That was Rabbi Khan from the Neymar Congregation of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Remember what? That used to be a, rabbi, a, a president in 1920. Mr. Vice President Miller now speaking. A vigorous and dynamic 49-year-old rabbi and professor of philosophy, a distinguished author and a noted scholar, teacher and lecturer, was selected to succeed the illustrious Dr. Samuel Belkin, Zichrono Vivracha, as the first American-born president of Yeshiva University. Dr. Belkin served with unprecedented distinction for 32 years as an inspiring leader and a creative builder of the unique multifaceted institution of higher education, striving always for excellence in its combination of knowledge and faith. He, in turn, had succeeded the pioneer president and founder of Yeshiva College, 
Dr. Bernard Revel of blessed memory, who transformed the concept of Torah Umada into the living reality of a community of learning and of scholarship. On August 4, 1976, Norman Lamb came home to the school which had nurtured him. He presented himself at the main center of Yeshiva University to take the helm, to steady the rudder, and to guide our 91-year-old institution with energy and zeal to still greater goals of fulfilling service to humanity, to our country, and to the Jewish community, here in Israel and throughout the world. He has presented himself each weekday morning since that day, starting an arduous schedule of appointments, meetings, calls, and correspondence with a study session in the Bet Hamidrash. It is an exalting experience to but catch a glimpse of father and son, a student at Yeshiva, absorbed in the study of a Talmudic tractate, Jewish law and lore. In bygone days, dear friends, the Jewish nuptial ceremony was performed in two stages, erosin, betrothal, preceding nisuin, marriage. On November 7th, the betrothal took place. Dr. Lamb was invested as president in beautiful ceremonies held on the campus of the main center in the presence of representatives of higher education and the university family. This evening, we are formalizing the second stage of a blessed marriage and presenting him with Ahava v'Achva, with love and brotherhood, to you, the community. In doing so, we have selected a singularly appropriate point in time, Law Day, USA, to mark this meaningful occasion and to reaffirm our commitment as a people of the law and the pursuit of justice to the sacredness of the law. We pray each day to the Lord, a king who loves tzedakah umishpat, justice and righteousness. We are highly privileged and uniquely favored to have with us and to be able to bestow honor upon three noble representatives of the highest tradition of the law. They symbolize three countries, the United States, Canada, and Israel, that are united by shared values and common bonds, by a reverence for the law, by Ahabat Chesed, by loving kindness and righteousness, blessing and mercy, and prayerfully 
Bahayim Vishalom, Life and Peace. This is indeed an historic hour, a divine day, Nagila Venishnachava, and we are happy to rejoice and be glad therein. We will now proceed with the formal program. Isaiah, 
Zion b'mishpat tipadeh, Zion shall be redeemed with justice. By the authority vested in me as president, I deem it a pleasure to confer, to confer upon you the degree of Doctor of Laws honoris causa. In token thereof, I cause to be placed over your shoulders the visible symbol of our high regard for you, and I hand you this diploma. Just handed to Robert Lamshik's hands for him. He's coming to the podium now. He's going to say a few words. Mr. President, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sure that I need not inflict an address upon you, so I won't do it. But I would like just uh, in a few words to tell you that when I received the news of the honor which the, this distinguished body was about to confer upon me, it has conferred upon me now, I asked myself why I had been chosen for that occasion. And I've come to the conclusion, which I believe is the right one, that what you wanted to honor through me is not myself, but the court, of which I am a member for many years and over which I preside for the last seven or eight months. Now, the Supreme Court of Israel is in certain respects unique. Not only because of uh, when I find myself here in the company of my distinguished United States and Canadian colleagues, I can't suppress a feeling of envy. They uh, have 100 or 120 cases per year. We have about 2,000. <laughs> of course, I don't think my dear colleagues that the numbers are the yardstick for, for justice. <laughs> but we are unique in, in, in another respect. Israel is a Jewish country. It has, however, a substantial non-Jewish minority. And uh, when our court was established, we felt it to be one of our primary duties, which I hope and believe we have fulfilled, to safeguard the rights and interests of the non-Jewish minority, which was not easy at the beginning. And then in 1967, after the war, the large parts of Arab territory came under Israel occupation. They were not annexed. They came under Israel military rule and still are. Then we had the same problem. We had no jurisdiction over the administrators. They have their own courts. They have their own Supreme Court sitting in Ramallah. But that court, of course, has no jurisdiction over the military commander, which is appointed 
these areas, so long as military rule continues uh, in the way of Madame's and the way of Avias Corpus. Now, jurisdiction is a, is a concept which you can, that will either compress and say you have no jurisdiction and send people away, or you can extend it a bit if you want to. And we did extend it. We told the military administration and the areas, true it is we have no uh, territorial jurisdiction over the administered areas, but we will assume personal jurisdiction over you because you are an Israeli government officer and it doesn't matter to us whether you sit in Nablus or in Turkarn or in Tel Aviv. We will let the writ go to you. If you think we can't serve you in the territories, well, we just serve you in Tel Aviv, care of your commanding officer. And it worked. Now, I think this is another uh, feat which the, the Supreme Court of Israel in uh, particular circumstances in which we live has established. But that's not all. The, as I said, Israel is a Jewish country. And as such, it has, of course, the great cultural heritage of ancient Jewish law. You see, Jewish law has so much uh, penetrated into the laws of other countries that you sometimes don't notice that anymore. For instance, in the 15th century, you find Lord Chief Justice Fortescue in England dealing with the case of a man who alleged that he had been unlawfully dismissed by a bishop and had not because he had not been given the reasons for his dismissal. It is fifteenth century. Nobody at that time had thought of natural justice, of due process as you call it. But Fortescue compelled the bishop to reinstate the man. He said, if, we, if you need authority, you will find it in the Bible. These people, the old judges, knew their Bible. Look up Genesis, he said. Take the story of the expulsion from the paradise where God himself, before he expelled the guilty, the guilty people, called Adam, where artist thou? That means to say that he would not expel him without hearing his explanation. Now, how can you, the defendant bishop of Oxford, fire uh, this man without him telling the reason? So that's Jewish law. And now in the course of time that we 
new. We must never forget that uh, the Jews are the people of the law and we must always whenever possible to take that into consideration and to continue what we have inherited from ancestors. Because if you abandon that, then there is a vacuum. In the 30 years that the state is in existence, we have not so far been able, and the time is too short, to uh, establish a new culture. We must not forget what our ancestors have delivered to us. But at the same time, Israel is not a theocracy. It's a secular state. You must be equally anxious to follow modern law whenever necessary. You can't, in commercial law, even in criminal law, you can't go by the Bible or by the Talmud. Uh, when uh, a, a conference of patent registrars, international conference, was held a few years ago, our registrar told me that he was invited by the representative of the Pope. To have a glass of wine with him, and the patents of Vatican City said, "Look, we should have a glass of wine together because we are the only two theocratic countries at this conference." But that's a mistake. We are not a theocratic country. We are a country which has the heritage of the old law. But you can come to us and you and the council come to us and they cite homes, clear and present danger, and they cite other authorities and we willingly accept them because that is our duty of combining the old with the uh, necessity of administering law in a, not, in a state which is not only new, but which is modern. Now, Mr. President, I think I have taken up enough of your time. I didn't look at my watch before I started. So just let me thank you again for the great honor which you have bestowed upon me. And let me tell you that I'm very much obliged and grateful to you. Thank you.
for the honorary degree of Doctor of Laws by Professor Louis Henkin, Hamilton Fish Professor of Law and International Relations and Diplomacy at Columbia University, a Yeshiva College graduate, and a Yeshiva University honorary degree recipient.
the Chief Justice of the United States, the Honorable Warren E. Berger, for the degree of Doctor of Laws Honoris Causa. As a judge, he is faithful to the scriptural injunction, Justice justly shalt thou pursue. As Chief Magistrate of the Nation, he has thundered like a prophet that if justice is to flow like a mighty stream, the courts cannot be left clogged and neglected. In all things, he has steadfastly kept the wilderness of the political world from becoming entangled in the garden of man's spiritual nature. Mr. President, I am privileged to present the Honorable Warren E. Berger. As a brilliant lawyer, scholar, and jurist, Justice Berger has dedicated his life to upholding the principles of the American judicial system. Born into a large family in Minnesota, Justice Berger grew up in an environment which stressed the virtues of hard work and common sense, virtues as rare in practice as they are widely applauded. These traits remained with him through his college days, when he worked full-time as a salesman in order to attend night classes at St. Paul College. To the diligence and integrity he demonstrates as America's leading jurist, Justice Berger has been true to a great American legal tradition in seeing justice not as an absolute, but as that sense of a right and the fair which issues out of a tension and competition between opposing virtues. This is best illustrated by quoting his own description of justice as being based on the idea of striking a fair balance between the needs of society and the rights of an individual. An outspoken critic of social injustice, Justice Berger has throughout his career as a private attorney, an assistant attorney general in the Justice Department, and as a judge of the United States Court of Appeals, called for a revision of the penal system, reform of court administration, and better programs for legal education. The late Justice Benjamin N. Cardozo once said, the final cause of law is the welfare of society. This epitomizes the standards of our Chief Justice, Warren E. Berger. We acknowledge our confidence, sir, that the sanctuary of law over which you preside will remain inviolate under your stewardship for many years to come. By the authority vested in me as president, I deem it a privilege to confer upon you the degree of Doctor of Laws honoris causa, and token thereof I cause to be placed over your shoulders the visible symbol of our high regard for you, and I hand you this diploma.
graduates of the Cardozo School of Law.